You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and this is an absolutely lovely one with an absolutely lovely person. This is Tom Neenan. He's the head writer for The MASH Report, the showrunner for Hello America on Quibi. We've all got Quibi, right? And he's also a deeply nice man. He talks to us about uh, being the recipient of the BBC Writers' Bursary and how that kind of acted as a joke writing boot camp for him, uh, which has left him in the position, the enviable position of being able to just sit down and write a load of jokes. Imagine that. Just sit down and not not bad jokes as well. Really good jokes. If I just sit down and write a bunch of jokes, I think my hit rate will be horrifically lower than someone like Tom's. And we're going to talk about that bursary. We're going to talk about how it trained him up. And we're going to talk about how he mines ambiguity for a punchline and plenty more besides. If you're in the Insiders Club, there's 30 minutes of extra stuff available to you, including Tom on learning to make shows more personal. Uh, me and Tom get self-indulgent, riffing on the concept of story and the Lubitsch touch, to which he introduces me, uh, with reference to the work of Pixar and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And also, Tom shares some of his favourite joke formats. And I might even, just thinking about it now, I might try and get Tom back for uh, for an Insiders Q&A, because it's a really nerdy uh, conversation about joke formats that might be really fun if there was a bit um if there were more people involved that we could bounce off then we could have a bit of a sort of round table about joke formats he'll almost certainly be up for that i'll bring you that in a couple of weeks <laughs> once i've confirmed that he's into it so all of the insiders at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders for all of that um but now without further ado this is the very funny and very lovely tom neenan So, mate, where do we start, Tom Neenan? <laughs> shall we? Shall we start? I mean, I feel like my relationship with you started with the gentleman of leisure. It did. I feel very like before. This is before ComCom, right? Like long before. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was. Uh, hang on, have I gone somewhere? I'm back. Uh, this is going to be one of those fun things to do. Yeah. So, like me. Uh, when was that? That twer. Twenty eleven, maybe. Twenty twelve. Yes. Yeah. I never. I'm not very good at dates, no. but in my mind, it is a big glaring twenty eleven. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and I think, and I, I must do the thing as well, which I always forget to do at the top, which is to set the scene for people less familiar with your work, because as we know, you are quite a, a shadowy figure and barely exist <laughs> online. Um, of course. You are the lead writer on the MASH report, yes. is that right? You're the head writer. 
head writer, I share that role with a guy called Tim Telling, uh, gotcha. who is uh, sort of, he very much has earned that role because he, I think, what well, he's part of the, he's like the Daily Mash side of that gotcha. uh, equation. Okay. So yeah, so he's sort of the fictionalised part of it. But yeah, I'd feel bad if I didn't mention him sort of off the, off the bat. Fair. You've made it quite clear now that that is something you felt compelled to mention. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, he makes sure I do. Uh, um, and, and also, you were the showrunner for yes. uh, Hello America. Which is bananas to be a showrunner. It is. It's. I. I feel so lucky. I mean, like this. This whole interview comes under the caveat of feeling incredibly lucky. Like we're in the middle of like an awful time when a lot of comedians, people are struggling, and you know. So yeah, for the last like for the first lockdown, the entirety of the first lockdown, I was the showrunner on this show, which uh, called Hello America for Quibi, which was an ill-fated app, Um, and. It was great. I got to learn all these skills and do all these things and sort of do it a bit in private. I feel a bit bad saying that, but oh yeah, I got but to it, it f- was the numbers weren't huge, right? Because Quibi was like I, I don't even really understand what Quibi was still. A lot of people, a lot of people don't. There was, I mean, we, I, they won't tell us what the numbers are, which is. I, I'm, uh, I'm very clangy. Yeah. I can't believe I said the numbers weren't huge, right? I, but I'm just I'm picking up all <laughs> what you said about like you got to do it in effectively yeah, well, secretly. Um, yeah, it, it, it was a closed platform and it was, yeah, all, all I mean by that is like, I guess um, we have mutual friends who are also showrunners on stuff for like massive, um, you know, huge TV shows and massive projects with a lot of expectation. Very scary. Yeah. Whereas like I got to try out this thing on a much lower budget and, you know, sort of thing. Um, but with friends and with, you know, with Nish as the helm, who, uh, you know, I trust implicitly. And so it was a, it was wonderful. I just feel so lucky, even though obviously it would have been great if we'd gone on to season two and three and four, um, that I got this opportunity and this thing that I was able to do. And now I can put that on my CV and I can look at 17, was it 18 or 19 episodes? I think it was more, it was like in the 20s. I've completely forgotten. It's locked down. It's just all been erased. Yeah. Um, of these episodes I'm so proud of and were sort of a bit of a, um, all of us were just sort of learning this thing and it was an incredible experience. Um, yeah, and, and so I kind of, this, like I say, this whole thing comes under the umbrella of just being like, it's been very, it's not been too bad in lockdown so far. Yes. And I realise that I am in the minority, maybe, you know, I'm in the minority for that. Yes, any, anyone with any class who's done well in the last <laughs> year has to constantly caveat it with, and I recognise how lucky and fortunate I've been under this. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so okay. that's me doing that above. Also, just in general, I was born a white man who can walk and see. Like, this is all very, I'm very privileged and everything else. So please let that be the banner which kind of covers all of this. Well, the thing is, I was, I was uh, describing you to someone recently. Mm. One of my things. I like to hang out and describe you to people. <laughs> sure. um, uh, and I was sort of thinking, I, I didn't realise I thought this, but in describing you, I sort of said, well, I suppose he's sort of, he's almost a throwback to when, <laughs> to when, uh, to a sort of bygone era of Radio 4. I kind of think of you, Tom. Uh, Don't take this yeah. the wrong way, but I sort oh, of no. think of you as an almost a kind of Bob Cratchit of Radio 4. Like, <laughs> oh, in one of the writers in a cupboard, right? Who, like, yes. obviously is churning out. I think churning's a terrible sentence as well. I'm not very <laughs> no, good at fair, this. it's fair. It's fair. Um, but, you you know, producing hmm. a huge volume of material, just, oh, you, if yes. you need some jokes, get him. I've got a mate who's <laughs> a mathematician. And yes. I said to him years ago, I said, so what, like, professionally you're a mathematician. Do, what businesses just say, we need some maths done, get him. And he went, yeah, it yeah, is yeah. kind of like that. And <laughs> I sort of have this, I imagine you, maybe it's because mm. of Scarves and Doctor Who or something, and that's connected yeah, yeah. you with Bob Cratchit in my mind. But I sort of, of feel course. like you are like a kind of, uh, you have qualities in, in common with mm. an archetype 
of a BBC Radio 4 comedy writer who is right, sort yeah, of yeah. locked away somewhere and yes. allowed to write. I Yeah, and I think maybe sometimes, because uh, I should say that probably that comes from the fact that I did a job which I think only one other ComCom guest has done, which is the BBC Writers' Bursary, ah. um, which is literally that job. You, for a year, it's like, a, it's an entry-level job, but for a year, you literally uh, are in the department and they ask you to write on shows that aren't like auteured, basically, kind of those kind of shows. So that was what I was doing. So for a year, you sit there and they say, you know, you've got now shows and news quizzes every week and you've got dead ringers and all those things and they all come around and you literally just churn out the material the downside of that I guess is that like for one thing I came out of that having and it was like a boot camp for for writing in general not just like gag writing but all kinds of writing it was really helpful and I really appreciate that I got that opportunity it's so great when you come out of it I guess one thing you want to do is get the idea that your writing is like like of value and also like something that kind of is you know is something that people uh like venerate is too big a word whatever Mm. the difference is between sort of having no value and you know being very valuable that kind of thing where you know because you can you do churn out loads of material so when you like maybe a developing uh narrative show or something you want to go yeah but i haven't just churned this out (laughs) this isn't like half Ah, a weekend's work or whatever yes so it's kind of a balance but like i would it was it's a great opportunity and um, I do not, you know, I don't want to speak ill of it at all because it's a great way to learn how to write. And yeah, and I think I, I probably did that. Uh, when would I have done that? So like that, I did that when Nishman often did his first solo show and mm-hmm. then I did the um, uh, the bursary. And so that was lovely. And so then we were actually able to rejoin when Nish was able to host a show and I yep. felt I had enough clout as a writer to then sort of be a head writer on it. And that sort of all married up very nicely. Yeah, but then obviously what you want to do is also, having churned out loads of materials, also go, but when I write something that it like matters, you go, but this has, you know, this, this is special in some way, I guess, to me. At is least. it, mm-hmm. do you think, a yeah. preconception of yours that people might think you were churning stuff out? Or is that something <laughs> spoken about in hushed terms among bursary recipients or BBC? <laughs> kind of because it's like being a staff writer, I imagine. Um, it's, I think that has been what the job has been called in the past, actually, has been staff writer. So, yeah, it's like it's literally that. It's uh, yeah. And, and, and so did you feel going into it? Well, I mean, first off, how did you how did you get it? And why do you think you won that post compared to the <laughs> compared to the next schmuck? Um, I, I, I basically it's it's a very good system that the BBC has because the BBC obviously is publicly funded. And so they need to have something which gets new writers through the doors. And so they have things like Newsjack and um, uh, and other sort of open door shows. And sort of it's a long winding road to how I sort of ended up there, if that's of interest to people, which is basically that sort of I started out as a um, as a studio runner. That was like my first job out of university um, where at uh, a Pinewood, not Pinewood Studios, but a Pinewood Group Studios in Teddington. Um, and there I started, I worked for a show called, there was a show there called After You've Gone, where they had a writer's room. It's one of the few shows that has a writer's room. Um, and so I used to sort of give special attention to that because I wanted to write. So I went to this like room in the studios where all the writers were to sort of, you know, punch up the scripts mid-rehearsal. Um, and then one of, then after that, they needed a writer's assistant. So they remembered me from that and they invited me to a, going for it and so I sort of uh, did an interview for that and got it so then I was a writer's assistant on this show one of the few British shows that has a writer's room um, and then it was cancelled after two weeks <laughs> like, <laughs> that'll be a recurring thing the, uh, the Neenan um, effect <laughs> exactly I do my best 
Um, and so, but what was lovely is there's a guy there, one of the writers called Dan Tetzel, who then went on to create uh, Newsjack, which is one of the open door shows. I didn't know that Dan with. Tetzel had created Newsjack. That's a name and a face that I know. And I didn't yeah. realise he was the... OK, gotcha. Oh, maybe he didn't. Maybe like Newsjack was like from a few people. I think Hush Kulani's another producer. Who oh, yeah, worked, of course. Worked on it. Yeah, yeah. But um, so I think there was a few, but certainly he was the first script editor. Okay. And then he recognised my name when I was submitting stuff and was like, it's just a nice thing. He didn't like... You know, he didn't give me any special uh, special privileges. Yeah. He was just like, oh, that's great. And then they invited me in and I sort of started being a commissioned writer on that. And then it just sort of, you know, incrementally, mm-hmm. um, you sort of learn how to get better. And so by the time that the... Um, uh, you know, the, the post was available again, I sort of was, my name was in the running, which is really lovely. And is there just one? Who who wins it? Is it is it just, is there one <laughs> bursary place? There's two. So okay. it's two every year. Gotcha. Um, and I was in a, I was in a run of just lots of men, lots of men did it for a long time. Um, so it's me and a writer called Jack Bernhardt, okay. who's uh, great. And uh, he's, he's been, he has a lot of journalism now as well as sort of TV and radio writing. Um, and so, yeah, we did that for a whole year. Um, and, I don't know. I, I, I think maybe I want to walk back my initial kind of worry about churning stuff out because I think some of my favourite writers do churn stuff out. Like I was I've listening to an interview with um, Russell T. Davis this morning because he's promoting his new drama. Mm. And like when he was, you know, working on, you know, my favourite TV show, Doctor Who, he used to he like churned out scripts like nobody's business. And they're, you know, there's nothing churning I don't think has anything to do with quality I think it's just about the sheer volume of material you need to produce sometimes and sometimes actually if you're in a um yeah if you're in a particular um have a particular work ethic or working particular way you can actually increase the quality of the work you're doing and the volume but you know you need to be in a I think that's quite rare you know people rarely sort of achieve that let's just sit with that for a second because I think that's a really good point um I Mm. remember being very kind of shook um years (laughs) earlier instead of years ago in the beginning of my comedy career where someone told me that I I can't remember if they were talking about Al Murray or Harry Hill or both but they were saying Mm. well the great thing about this act is they say I'm going to go and write a show now and they go off for a month and they come back and slam down a, a you know a, a script and they go there we go I've written a show yeah and I remember thinking yeah. God I could never do that you know for me it's just this kind of it's like the, the, the you know that meme from Always Sunny where he's like got the, 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 the <laughs> yeah, cork yeah. board with the red things it's all just like maybe mm. that and bolt that on and what have you so I'm really yeah. excited about the ability like what must that feel like is it empowering to think to yourself as to have that kind of staff writer gear of going well the pages 9 to 22 are blank but i'll just fill those yeah. with jokes yes it's really good that's the one thing that that job taught me which is um uh, it teaches you just to start writing which is so useful and such a like um uh, an amazing skill which i'm really grateful for so yeah you just you don't have that fear of um the word document with the blinking cursor you can just like go ahead and start start typing because you have to because um back in my you know the news quiz needs 15 jokes by the end of the day or you know someone needs gags added to a, a script or something and, it, and so is it, you, it when you say it teaches you to do that is it simply the fact yeah. of an, a deadline that is imposed by an organization who have sort of bes- bestowed <laughs> mercy upon a young writer like it's it's an important yeah. gig and there's a deadline yeah. every single day and that's the that's, exactly okay and it, and people, some people I think have come away and not enjoyed that. I, but I really, I, I yeah, I, I really got something out of that, which is just the 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 fact that it has to be done. And similar with Edinburgh, right? Like Americans look at the UK model and they're like, "How do you even do that?" And we're like, "Because there's a deadline. Because every August we all turn up at the same place and show what we've done for a year." 
And so I think that we just have it in our head that we do that. Maybe it's a, it's, yeah, a lot of it maybe has to do with authority as well. We kind of imbue um, Edinburgh with this like strange uh, amorphous authority that like it will judge us in some way and we will be sort of judged by the end of it. But it's, I guess we all just, yeah, it's all just deadlines, isn't it? And the more you have and the more you give yourself, it's like, you know, if you want something done, give it to a busy person, right? So it's, it's that format, but sort of writ large. And and just before we get on, I'm I'm going to come back to the idea of judging because I'm obsessed with uh, that at the moment. I think I'm, yeah. I'm I'm sort of circling some sort of personal breakthrough to do with how I regard audiences <laughs> and the industry yes. such as it exists. Um, so we, we may come back to that. But just just sticking mm. with that, so there is the there's the deadline and the busyness. And then yeah. are you were you actually kind of taught externally? Were you kind of was your work? marked almost you know because it, it, it sort of feels like i mean i'm imagining i always imagine the bbc to look not dissimilar to hogwarts inside no, ma- no matter i mean it's a sort of a, a slightly gray carpeted hogwarts but do you know what i mean is yeah, it, yeah. like when you are the recipient of that bursary is it simply that you get a job and then you have loads of different bosses or is there anyone is there anyone looking over your shoulder and going that bit you need to try harder with and so you know what i mean is there a kind of teaching element yeah. like that no, it's, yeah, it's up to you. So like you can become your own, you can grade yourself in terms of like, uh, it's the it's the amount you write. And then also it's if you go to recording. So if you, the radio theatre, when I was uh, working there, we worked at Wogan House, which was just like, it was um, just next to the radio theatre. So it was very good. So you could write stuff and then obviously you could just go across the road and you'd see stuff recorded in the radio theatre. You'd see whatever, you know, shows that had an audience, you could watch them being recorded. And then when you've written something, and someone, a very talented actor or presenter is saying it on, you know, in front of an audience and you very quickly know that's working. Oh, and this thing that I was trying isn't working. So you're grading yourself the whole time and going, well, there's there's the audience reaction. And it's an honest reaction because it's even probably not that honest. It's probably even generous because they're in the radio theatre and their job is to laugh. So you're listening to that the whole time. And it's the kind of job that is you can make it as instructive instructional instructive as you want it to because um yeah because you can go to all these recordings and hear your material read out and be harsh on yourself and go that didn't work um and then sort of learn that way that's what makes it such an intense and great learning curve i think that job and and is there is there a kind of common type and you often hear people sort of describe the radio (laughs) for listener do you know what i mean as if like there is there is sort of a type there and is was there ever the feeling that you were specialising in tickling the funny bone of a particularly <laughs> comfy listener? Um, potentially. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I personally, and I think a lot of people do, because it, weirdly it's a, it's, a, it's a relatively young person's job for, uh, like you say, a, a comfy listener. But um, I think it's always fun to, uh, to try and push it. There's stuff that like there's jokes that I've written that sort of stand out for me because I was like, this won't get read out. But then like back in my day, Sandy Toxvig doing the news quiz did them and they were broadcast and there was stuff that I can't believe that we got away with. Can you give us um, an example? Is there one that occurs to you? There is. There's one that I'm so proud of, which was um, where she, uh, it was about sort of the government giving out uh, jobs for young people or something. It was like a young person's job scheme. And at the end, I just wrote a job which was like, you know, jobs for young people include, uh, you know, washing up in a restaurant, blah, 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 and marrying Stephen Fry. <laughs> and it was which, when that was relevant, when sure. that was a thing. And I was like, they're mates. She won't say that, but I'll put it in as a thing. And of course, it got this, you know, it got this like, ooh, yeah. be like, oh, we got away with something which is not rude. It's just like, it's a bit, you know, it's a bit proddy. And that was quite fun. 
Yes. I remember mm. I remember the the kind of I remember as a as a teenager I suppose watching have I got news for you and feeling yeah. like it was sort of rapier like satire and then getting yeah, yeah, older yeah. and kind of going, Oh, this is pretty cozy, isn't it? Like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, this is yeah, like, these people yeah. aren't out to change the world so much as yes. sort of, you know, the, the mockery is kind of, well, I don't know. Did it, did it soften? Do you think? Or, 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 uh, or is it just that I got older and I started caring about it in a different way? I don't know. It's, it's hard to tell because some of the things that arguably you could say about specifically that show, Have I Got News For You, um, that it did. Now you look back and go, oh, is that satire? Like everyone talks about like it's they had Roy Hattersley didn't come on. So they had a tub of lard on. You're like, oh, OK, yeah. so you, you sort of you reduced a politician down to his size. OK, like yeah. back in the day. Oh, my God, that's great satire. But now sort of in a, in a new looking back on it, and you know, the show's lasted 35 years or something. So, of course, tastes will change in that time you sort of go is that satire is that the kind of satire that we want to be that yeah. you know that necessarily you see as like uh, holding truth to power is call, calling roy hattersley fat um you know telling truth to power or is it a bit of body shaming but you know yeah back in the 90s yeah, of course of course <laughs> i suppose i suppose to a certain extent i need to kind of confess to a i suppose i i have a an agenda I said, right. I'm recognising it. I'll, I'll leave this in if it stays interesting. Um, sure. But if it stays or gets interesting. But yeah. <laughs> I, su- I suppose I'm mm. so in awe of people that can turn up and knock out loads of jokes that I right. think yeah, yeah. I've kind of set myself with my own kind of preconception yeah. that, oh, it must be formulaic. Do you know what I mean? Like, it must be sort of comfortable. It must be a bit of a tombola where you slot yeah. in. I don't mean you personally, but you know what I mean? Like, kind of Radio 4 comedy. You, these yes. are the politicians we mock for these reasons. Yeah. At the moment, it's these 20 names. And if someone's lazy, mm-hmm. it's this person. If someone's there, it's this person. And, and yeah, it just yeah, yeah. feels a bit kind of plug and play. Now, I don't know whether that is a, a reasonable criticism or whether it's more that I'm like, there's got to be some trick. Do you know what I mean? Because I can't get, <laughs> you know, the way people watch um, people doing improv and go, oh, they must be rigged. It, you know what I mean? So maybe, yeah, maybe yeah, that's yeah, a kind of yeah. cynical thing. But I, I don't even know really what what the question is. But do you think there is? No, but that is true. Like you, um, you, you definitely when you have to produce that amount of gags, like maybe not for the ones that are broadcast because that might not be what the host wants. But certainly when you just have to produce a volume of gags, there is a formula. There is a formula. There, are, there are things that you end up doing. Like, was this? I can't think if this is now. I've listened to so many Concom pods. I don't know if this is my theory or if this is like <laughs> far a, away. <laughs> yeah, a Gary Delaney thing. But like somewhere in my mind is the idea of like a news story is two things colliding, right? That's what makes something news. So a you know a person does a thing, or you know who, what, why, where, when, all that stuff. So like basically each one of those things has uh, things that we attach to them. So mm. you know Boris Johnson, uh, loads of kids, you know weird hair all, all this stuff that you mm-hmm. attach and then you have something else you have like uh the, the health service so so if those two things are in play basically to some extent what your brain is doing is spinning both wheels and finding like common factors uh you know oh boris johnson visited the hospital this week probably you know visiting uh one of his kids you know I, i'm not going to try and pitch any sure. terrible yeah, yeah, yeah. Liners, but you um you can sort of go you do end up kind of going oh there's that bit from that bit and there's that bit from that. and if you put them together that makes an adequate one-liner yeah. And then when you're writing those, you hope that a bit of something extra strikes you, which is when you actually write a joke that you think, oh, that isn't that doesn't abide by the formula. Um, I do. Uh, there's, for instance, I think the most formulaic is like I've done a lot of writing for Mop the Week and uh-huh. things like that. 
And on the um, like scenes we'd like to see, the, p- yeah. the best ones work on a very strict formula. Um, and when you sort of hit that, you're like, okay. Uh, and, and then occasionally, you know, they all work. And then occasionally someone, James Acaster is someone I think of a lot, who sort of breaks the formula and just does something really weird and brilliant that kind of doesn't abide by that, but mm. still works in the sort of very restricted confines of that joke setup. Mm. Um, so like with, you know, with scenes we'd like to see, you find yourself going, okay, things you wouldn't hear a sports commentator say. And then in your brain, you just go through every aphorism of a sports commentator. Oh, that, that, yeah, that the ball went over the line. And you're like, mm. okay, you're just looking for ambiguities in the words. You're going, okay, over, it went over the line. Okay. Um, oh, that went over the line. That comment was definitely sexist. Something that like, you know, you can then just find an ambiguity in a phrase and then use it as the punchline, basically. Okay. Um, and that is kind of a, um, yeah, I guess that is kind of the, the formula that they work by. But you do loads of those and then hopefully you hit one or two that don't abide by formula, but just like your brain throws out because they're funny. Yes, I'm trying. Mm. I'm Does trying that make to, sense? Am yeah, I... no, ab- absolutely, absolutely. I want to I want to kind of circle the idea of ambiguity because I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's where that's where I fall down as a writer of short jokes because I'm constantly trying mm. to force myself over to a position of finding ambiguity mm. rather than mm. accident. Like I loathe puns and it's because often yeah, yeah. they're all I can think of. That's like the very first, <laughs> that's like level one yeah, of like, yeah. oh, I think that's a word like that. Um, yeah. So finding the ambiguity, but I think the example I was thinking of is um, uh, someone like, I mean, someone like Acaster or someone like Milton Jones, where you go, those yeah, jokes, yeah, yeah. No, they're not really yeah. puns. Like, you know, I found a small dead baby ghost in the road the other day, although thinking it, it might have been a handkerchief. And that sort of exists <laughs> yeah, yeah. outside. You're just, whoa, how, yes. do you, how does your mind work like that? So I yeah, suppose yeah. what I'm interested in is, is a kind of a, I suppose what I'm asking is, what you're mm. saying is once you get familiar enough with all the formulas, then it sort yeah. of opens up and you start to see the spaces in between the formulas? You, something yes. like that? I'm not, I'm not musical. It strikes me as the kind of thing that jazz musicians do when they know the notes and how to assemble them and then the fun becomes, yeah, but what if we, what if we break down this chord structure? What if we sort of ignore the, the rules, as it were? Um, yes, and from the perspective so like, of someone who really understands the rules. Yes, exactly. And I think that's good. I think that's a really good foundation for then writing gags is having written like the most uh, or any kind of writing. You write something that's very, you just know the rules and you learn all the rules and then you can actually earn the right to break them, I guess. Yes. Um, Like how a lot of people, I guess, when they start out, want to immediately show that that they understand the rules by breaking them. But then the foundation isn't sometimes there. And so there's sometimes it doesn't quite work. I think a really good example of this sort of thing. I'm going to I'm going to mm. uh, quote one of your. I'm going to publicly RT one of your tweets. Oh, <laughs> is God. that what's that called? <laughs> um, is that called subtweeting? I've never understood what that is. Um, no. Your joke that you. Uh, this is is it today? Two days ago. Oh, the yeah. sad irony well, is, if Jack Torrance had just written down what was happening to him, he would have written The Shining, yeah. a very successful <laughs> book. That is <laughs> such a magnificent joke and so <laughs> unformulaic and so kind of. Yeah. It has all these beautiful qualities of a joke joke whereby it's obvious once you think of it 
Yes, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and also is imbued with your personality. The fact that you he would have just written The Shining, like that yeah. joke could have ended there, but it's pure needing yeah. to go, comma, a very successful book. Because yeah. it has a sort of, a sort oh, of gentle you. humility afterwards. In the, you know what I mean? It's like, it's a very short, small number of words. It's effectively yeah. a one-liner, and yet it's imbued with personality. So I just wanted to raise that because I think it's a, a oh, good example well, of that kind of thing. That, that tweet did well, and it infuriates me, because any, any uh, goddamn writer knows you don't, put the, the, you don't include the same words in the setup as the punchline. So it should be, if Jack Torrance had just transcribed what was happening to him, he would have written The Shining instead of written down. Because he got the word written twice, and it really ah. irritates me. <laughs> well, does it? Because I hadn't noticed that, and I think it would be right. worse. The more correct version that you've just said would be a less oh, good joke. Because I think, yeah. obviously, that, I mean, that's arguably one of the rules that that can be broken once you know the rules. Because, yes, of course, yes, yeah, we would yeah. all recommend someone don't say the word twice. I mean, maybe yeah, yeah. there's also something about the difference between written down what was that, like writing something down is different yes. to writing a novel, so there's a different sort of sense to it. But also yeah, yeah. maybe it's that it, it's, it, there's something about the sort of gently laboured way in which you're explaining. <laughs> like, that's, that's, yeah, that's yeah, in yeah. step, isn't it? It's in step with the perspective of the joke, which is... Oh, why didn't it's he just like, do this? You know what I mean? It's, yeah, a, it yeah, has it's a no- very basic. Yeah, and it has I've a- got loads of replies to that being like, uh, excuse me, he dies at the end? So like, how would that even... Like, which is lovely because it's obviously, it's just a logic, which is, which is also like, I love that stuff. But, but there's one scene that I'd like to see, which because I now, I, I'm going to defer a lot because he just had a nice thing of quoting something, which I'm like, yeah, I'm quite proud of that one. <laughs> um, and so I'm going to mention, so like uh, a scene we'd like to see, uh, like you wouldn't hear at Christmas, um, one that just sticks in my mind is one of James Acaster's, which is, um, you know, things you wouldn't hear at Christmas. And it's, it's some, uh, he just says, did you hear that, Alfred? They said, jingle bells, Batman smells. How dare they? And it's like, he's just <laughs> created this world. And it's lovely because it's not anchored to anything. It's literally yeah. just like, he's, and, and that has the same thing. He's imbued Batman with this real petty kind yes, of yes, <laughs> I feeling of victimhood. Yes. And it's nice when you, when a, and that's a whole story. And it's a whole little, when a, when a joke can do that, when it can tell a whole little story and a perspective and everything else, those are really fun. And I think that what I wrote, um, I think it was one where I'd literally I'd just woken up and I just, it was such a stupid thought. And actually sometimes the thoughts that you catch yourself having, I wish there was a way of capturing those thoughts that aren't even really formed. There was a joke in my, um, my 2018 show, which I, I've, is an idea I've had since I was like 14, which is um, just an audio um, an audio word search. So it's just me sort of garbling, going that, blah, 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 blah. and then just over it, I just shout the word chicken. And it's like, you have to find that word. But it's like, it's such a, stu- obviously it doesn't work and it's stupid, but you're like, those are the things that people like because they, they don't come, f- there's no logic at play there. It's almost like a, a, a an absence of any kind of. Yes, a gleeful absence of logic, which particularly in yes. the concept of a word search, which is a very rigorously logical Thing, exactly yes. yeah Lovely. yeah and uh, that's what i'm looking for more like i yeah I, I think that doing things like the birth screen doing lots of radio four writing gives you this skill to kind of if someone just called me up tomorrow and went give us 50 you know give us five pages of jokes on x mm. i could probably do it and that's quite a handy thing for like you know paying the mortgage mm-hmm. um and then the stuff that you kind of write where you want to go like oh no but i want to i want to i want to get and access something that feels special or feels like 
um, unique, I guess that's when you you tap into the stuff where you're like, oh no, that doesn't actually, it sort of breaks the rules a bit. And that's really fun. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So with those sorts of jokes, with those kind of small mm. jokes where you're like, oh, this is a, you know, it's a dafty or it's, I always think of yeah. dafties, <laughs> Al- Al- Alfie Moore calls no. jokes. You want to chuck in a dafty. Um, yeah. <laughs> And those are absolutely, I think those are kind of particular favourites of mine. Jokes that comics can't yeah. see coming. That's what you want to write, yes. really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether or not that translates to financial success and fame. Yeah. Because there's a lot to be said for writing jokes that comics can see coming. Um, yeah, yeah. But are they ideas newly minted that pop into your head and you manage to capture them? Can they be edited? Mm. Can they be improved? Can you right. construct from from perspiration rather than inspiration let's say beautiful daft jokes like that or do they happen accidentally whilst you're slogging um oh interesting well there's two two things that as in like can you aim to create those kind of silly jokes yes um i i'm not sure i mean maybe some people i like to think that someone like uh, somebody comes up in this podcast like mitch hedberg he just thought like that you could probably just, you know, if you talked to him about trains, he would have like eight great one-liners that you've never thought of about trains because you just point his weird brain in a direction and go think about this for a bit and they would just like churn out these incredible things, um, which I'm very, you know, which is incredible. Um, but on the other side of that, obviously what you've got is you've got this silly idea, which is like this word search thing. But then because my show that year included like AV stuff, so it had like audio visual things, what you then got to do is the perspiration of actually making that exist which actually becomes more logical, I guess, because what you want to do is tell the audience everything so that they can follow the silly idea with you. And sometimes that does take work. Sometimes you can't just go, imagine if this happened, and then they're sort of bombarded with too many weird ideas at once. You haven't walked them through it enough. So like uh, that, the sort of the bit that led up to that, there was word searches and I did a few gags about word searches. And then I said, and I came up with this brilliant idea. And of course I'm playing a a sort of an idiot. So they're like, it's not going to be brilliant. Audio word searches for the blind. Uh, let that let the sort of visual of that sink in and then be like okay you're confused what happens is I play me saying a load of nonsense words and then I I recorded myself doing it and played it to the audience with a real word inside Um, for instance this and I didn't say what the word was but I was like for instance this uh, this one I'm playing you now is farmyard themed and then I had another little clicker and it would just be me shouting the word chicken over the top which I tried to time so it got the best sort of reaction which was you know it's a a very reliable kind of woofer that one for the show Um, so it's like it's a silly idea that came from nowhere and is almost like instantly but then you've got to go like okay but I need to now I need to do the legwork of going how how do I walk them up to this fun idea so that they can enjoy it as much as I did you know when I first thought of it kind of thing yes yes that's Mm. that's a good point so so I'm interested as well in the the editing of something like that when you do stumble upon a a golden dafty you know when you're like oh here we go it does can you edit it and if you are editing it is the editing from the point of view like sharpening it tweaking it i think when when a perfect mm. idea just falls out yeah the yeah. temptation is oh don't touch anything it's kind of that uh, i don't want yeah. to mess it up can uh-huh. you can you then trim it and retain or improve the the magic i hope so maybe maybe some things shouldn't be um played with i like so many people i hear and i'm going to refer back to you know like previous episodes of the show where people talk about like recording a show where they, they did a preview and suddenly just they, there was a way that they phrased something and it just worked mm-hmm. and and they may go and it never worked again and it's like I wonder if sometimes it's a bit of slippery soap that you're like oh it worked that one time and it was perfect and it felt organic and I didn't even have to work at it it was just natural yeah. and then the second you think about it it you lose it slightly so maybe some things you just shouldn't touch uh, as much with that one I think 
I think I thought of it like with the, the, the shining joke, I just thought of it. And then I think it did take sort of a bit of, um, and then obviously I, I probably wrote it with the thing. And then at the end, I thought it'd be funny to add the sort of pathetic caveat at the end as well. So, uh, so yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Mm. So with, with that in mind, and we talked about your Edinburgh shows as well. You're not, when you do Edinburgh shows, they're kind of themed shows. You're not a stand-up stand-up. You're not there going, I'm Tom Neen. No. I, I don't think I've ever seen you do that. No, like I, I did I did myself, in my 2018 show, I did like myself as a character, but it was very much a character show, just the character had the same name as me. Gotcha, um, okay. So, so yeah, but no, I've never done, uh, like back, you know, many, many years ago, I did sort of bits of stand-up, but never... Like everyone does, I think, like at some point, like, you know, sort of dip your toe in the water. But no, I've never for any prolonged period of time or for an Edinburgh show done like a stand up show. So when you are doing, because I remember seeing the Andromeda Paradox, was it? Oh, Andromeda yeah. Paradox? Which was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed it. And it just mm. spilled over with jokes. It was so dense. Yeah. The punchline density yeah. was extraordinary. Um, <laughs> and um, I suppose what I want to know about is mm. the. Um, the performance of a beautiful little mm. one-liner. Because I think yeah. my working process is to... I yes. definitely, like, I've got to record all of my gigs because if I'm lucky, I'll say something... Per- I've got an idea in my head. I've never managed to say it yeah, perfectly. Yeah. And I can sit down and push it round the plate as long yes. as I want to. But I know that when I'm on stage, one, I'll accidentally say it. And then, of course, you nail it. And you go, that works. Yeah. And then the downside is either the recording doesn't work and you're lost, it's lost forever. Or you listen yeah, back yeah. to it. And then you end up trying to faithfully repeat not just the word order, but the cadence yeah. and the rhythm and all the rest of it <laughs> yeah, in, a, yeah. in a way that now I sort of feel a bit grotty about because that feels like you're trying to, you're trying to sort of uh, cheat by replicating the, the, the oh, perfect organic moment sometime. Do you know what I mean? It's like, no, you should be yeah. more like Phil K and just try and feel a genuine <laughs> organic moment every time with all of the... But some, like, I, I don't know, sometimes cause some jokes rely on intonation, right? Sometimes, some jokes kind of, they, uh, they live or breathe on the fact that if you perform them right, which is nice. Like, I'd like to give myself more... I think those shows, so I did like the, the ghost story show and then I did the sci-fi show yeah. and they were both products of doing the bursary and just going like, I know I can write jokes. So I'm scared. I'm going to do my first solo hour. I just, I'm going to lean back on the fact that I know that I can do tons and tons of one-liners, uh, you know, or like and assemble them in a, I can write stories as well and I can assemble them in a story with a character and everything and all of that will work. And I think as I've sort of done more Edinburgh's, I've realised that the, oh, it's also fun to strip that back and to make it more characterful and maybe have things that do rely on intonation and aren't just like, because I, I worry sometimes with those shows, which I'm really proud of, I could have emailed someone a PDF of the script and they would have got like, I'd say about 80% of the same experience. Oh, that is such a, that's such a performer thing to say. Oh, that's such a comedian <laughs> thing to say. Like that's, I'm, right. I, I don't know that I disagree with that. I think that is a very yeah, yeah. laser-guided piece of self-criticism. And, but I, the, the way that you'd like, oh, I could, I could just email them a PDF of this. That just seems like that, that's, that's very kind of flavorful. It's very characterful in and of itself. Yes, I, I, yeah. I see what you mean. And I, having seen the show, like you, mm. I don't know how much you were, it wasn't visceral. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't yeah, a visceral yeah, yeah. performative experience. It was a brilliant mm. load of jokes that made me laugh. Yeah, well, that's the thing. And so what I've, I, I've learned, as I've done more, I've, I've been trying to lean into, like you say, something with my, um, my latest show, people would like, because it was a lot about feminism and stuff like that. Um, there, was, there was like three instances where groups of lads would walk out 
they would walk together like this isn't for me and those are my favorite bits because then the the you know luckily no one was ever like didn't go too wrong yeah. but like you know, there was a, a lovely atmosphere and I could feed off it and I could make gags off of them and and you know sort of refer to them afterwards and then suddenly like you say it becomes a visceral experience rather than a perfect thing that I'm trying to recreate every single night yes. which would drive you mad because that's like yeah and that you know unless you're a theatre actor which I also have tremendous respect for but for a very different number of skills So this is Tom. I mean, come on. <laughs> What's not to love? What an incredibly nice man. Um, we will get back to this in just a second. I'm promoting very little at the moment, so let's promote Tom. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter, at T Neenan. He's got very, very funny tweets. Absolutely. We'll talk a bit more about those in a sec. Um, you can also follow his Doctor Who podcast, at Weezing Pod. Um, and, uh, oh, there's check the show notes as well for some uh, bits and bobs. We talk about uh, some of his favourite instructional YouTubers, uh, in this episode and in the the insiders club extra stuff as well um so check the show notes for some tips on those and there's also a link to the video about the lubich touch so uh if that has piqued your curiosity then check that out in the show notes um what i'm up to at the moment is reworking my website and uh making it act as a node yes i needed a node for some time for all the things i'm doing the key things that i am leaning into at the moment besides uh, an upcoming show at uh catherine bohart's gigless preview festival in a couple of weekends time and um, the key things i am pushing are virtualofficeparty.co.uk which is going great guns i'm pleased to see we're getting some more bookings on that uh, into the new year and uh, that is for you if you are remote working and have a business that you or are part of a business which you think you would like to bring people closer together via the magic of me live vision mixing a zoom room and doing either a chat show or a stand-up show with some invited guests and involving a front row of people uh with i mean really well i'm just gonna say it there this is my baby and i do it incredibly well so check out virtualofficeparty.co.uk and consider booking us and if you would like to learn what the distilled wisdom of over 350 360 now uh comedians that have been on this podcast can teach your business about resilience or authenticity or anything bespoke uh, then you can go to comedyinsights.com and learn about that Follow me at ComComPod on Twitter and Instagram. And remember, the Insiders Club extras uh, are available when you sign up at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. Now, let's get back to the brilliant Tom Neenan. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. I would imagine that... um having worked on the last three seasons of the mash report has that had mm. some sort of um uh, i'm gonna say radicalizing i don't mean that but <laughs> do you mean you, you you write more and more about politics you write more and more about like when you're yeah. putting if you're the lead writer you're working on nish's monologue at the beginning of the show yes yeah then it is it is by nature it's a kind of passionate it's a more not necessarily yeah, yeah, yeah. anti it's articulate but it's it's yeah. anger and it's directed anger mm-hmm. have you found that how have you found that and have you found that it that it has 
made you more political? Um, I'm not sure. Like, I think that the reason, you know, that Dish and I've worked together for a long time and we, we do share, we, we share kind of political um, uh, passion, I guess. Uh, and that obviously he has then turned that into, he's, you know, wears that on his sleeve. He's like, that's predominantly what he will tweet about. That is what he will talk about when he's on, uh, you know, when he's on anything, he'll, he'll make an effort. Like I, I noticed even recently he did Graham Norton um, and he sort of, I'm not sure whether it was his impetus or something, but he made the effort to sort of be satirical because I don't think he likes the idea. I have no idea if this is what he thinks. Um, But for me, I'd imagine he doesn't like sort of doing stuff unless he can be making a point or using his platform, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in a positive way, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And so so like, I, yeah, I guess coming through Radio 4 feels softer than say the MASH report, which yeah, definitely has more more of a point of view. Um, but I think that's always been there. And I think there's like, I don't, yeah, I, I, I think that the stuff that I try and write certainly doesn't feel like it's coming across in like a ghost story or in like a, a Quatermass parody, but like, I, maybe it's like buried too far deep. And that as I kind of, as I try and strip back the layers, there is a bit more of that kind of, you know, whether it's, it's very rarely anger. I don't think I'm a particularly angry person, but you know, the, the, the sort of the, the edgelords who prompted stuff like the George Orwell mm-hmm. tweet and stuff like that, just, it's, it's an eye rolling kind of, oh, I went through that phase when I was, when I was 15 or something where you think that you're being incredibly radical by going against the grain. And actually sometimes the grain is just there because it's helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so like, I think that more and more that comes out and I think that more and more I'm trying to access that and the things that I, you know, that I care about. And the Mashport's a great example of that um, because we can, it's all, you know, we just have to sit in a room for like, in that case, six weeks, you know, five days a week, six uh, for six weeks, and keep up that passion and keep up that energy that means that you don't just go cool these these bloody politicians eh? what are you going to do with them like you actually go no these people need to be held to account and keep that passion going and I think that's really important and I think I'm trying to access that more in the stuff that I create on my own as well which has been really helpful and like that's why I love working with Nish as well because he he brings all that you know the the like you say being articulate and passionate and all those things and it's a good it's like a battery you can kind of you can sort of feed off it a bit and that's really helpful do do you think it does hold people to account? Do you think politicians change their minds as a result of satirical swipes at them? Do you or, or no. do you think that voters change their minds? Or um, no, but uh, I don't think you know the, the 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 phrase that is often used specifically about kind of satire can be like preaching to the choir. But people preach to the choir. <laughs> like that is like, people say that like, it's a bad thing. And I'm like, that literally happens. And it's not, you know, sometimes the choir needs to be preached to. Sometimes, um, you know, we're, and sometimes just enough voices presenting a certain point of view. There's enough in the UK um, right-wing voices uh, that, you know, we, you need those public uh, voices of kind of that, that criticise the government as well. Um as much as possible and yeah maybe you're not actually going to reach into people's brains and change their minds but you will be part of a a broader discourse and that tries to level out kind of the what's it called the Overton window kind of tries to stop things just lurching one way or the other and sort of hold the government to account basically like what what is what what's um the spectrum of kind of uh publicly agreeable political discourse Okay. So, so yeah, um, and so so if you're a voice on one end of that, and meanwhile you've got people, we've got this uh, supposedly going to be this like Fox News of the UK on the other side. I think it's important that both exist, or maybe I prefer if one didn't exist. And yeah. <laughs> still, that's just my leanings. And and do you do you have topical 
things do you have kind of lines in the sand do you have things that you you think are unfair as targets for satire right you mentioned the roy hattersley thing was there anything on on mash yeah. report thus far when you thought um actually this isn't fair or this is too you know even if even if you approve of the target you think it might be uh too clumsy a, a means of attack Oh, I don't know. Um, obviously, sort of, this comes with the caveat that I'm, like I say, my, my sort of territory as head writer is, is not sure. the whole show um, as such. So are we just talking about kind of stuff that I work on and I kind of have jurisdiction uh, over? Well, we were, but now you've mentioned that, it makes me think, oh, is there other people's stuff that you might have uh, thought about? <laughs> no, no, I think it's all like, it's good. I think that the voice of like the... Um, uh, the voice of, like, say, the, the, the news desk is maybe a bit grumpier and a bit older, but that's fine. I think that's good. I think that that's how you end up with a show with different flavours and different textures. Um, so I wouldn't, I don't necessarily, no, I don't think I, I disagree with anything on that. Um, it's just, it's it's fun that, like, it's a lot more like, oh, you know, they'll probably um, have a pop more at sort of younger people. And, we, and you know, I guess I am one of those younger people and I'll be like, yeah, we suck. But, uh, but I wouldn't necessarily turn the gun on myself in that instance. Yes, OK. Um, so, but like in terms of other targets, I'm just trying to think, no, I mean, like we, as a, as a room, I think we have a fairly good grasp of like, where yeah who we want to who we want to attack and also make sure that we're doing it properly and that we're not sort of we're not part of the twitter mob who sort of has half an idea about something and then goes after someone based off of not much research you know a lot of it um is uh you know we try and do as much research as possible to make sure all our targets are are specific and are warranted occasionally i'll I'll do a joke that i'm i'm proud of where the victims are like it's so unfair there's one joke that um that I am proud got on that is hor- that is mean, but it was just, it was after a sketch about uh, the curse of Strictly, where I think Felicity Ward was playing like this very kind of um, sensual dancer who was like, um, you know, uh, flirting with her partner. And then I just wrote a line for the, the newsreader at the end that was just, of course, the real curse of Strictly is that a third of its presenters are dead. <laughs> and like, there's no, you can't, do, you can't defend that joke, but like, you know, you go, well, it's fine, you know, he's a, he, he, God bless him. Bruce Walsh, lived a long and happy life and you can sort of, you know, that, that felt like it was on the right side of being a bit mean. Yes, yes, fair okay. enough. Do you, just on that, do you, do you yeah. think that jokes are inherently amoral? Because I, th- I go, I go, ah. I, I change my mind on this, I think, because I, I think there is a school of thought that says, listen, if a thing makes you laugh by being sufficiently surprising yeah. and satisfying, then there it is. Hmm. Uh, I mean, I've heard people on this show within 20 minutes go from saying a joke is like a magic spell that you cast on the audience and then go, it's just a joke, isn't it? So, like, I, it's, I mean, maybe that's, I think it is maybe important. that's the real magic, <laughs> is that it is, it, exactly. is, it is both of those things. <laughs> yeah, like, I, no, I think, I think that, I think anything you say has, has meaning and has weight. And so um, you, so I don't think that, there are jokes that have been made in the past, you know, in the past like 10 years by, by some uh, people on like satirical shows and stuff where I've been like, actually, actually, I could, we could do without um, that kind of, you know, mainly kind of stuff like judging female celebrities by the way they look uh, and things like that, where I'm like, oh, that's, that's not actually that helpful. And 
Sure, people might laugh out of shock, but then also there's another thing, which is if it's a broadcast medium and it's going out to lots of people, that's one thing in a room where it's like, oh, we're all sharing this little secret. Like I say, we're co-conspirators. But then also it gets broadcast to millions of people. And I wonder then if that kind of that kind of joke is very fun and enjoyable in a room of people who all understand the context, but then is very cold and harsh when it's on a television screen. So, like, I don't necessarily, you know, I, I, I believe in free speech. I think that people should have the right to say whatever they want. But then, of course, it's a different thing when it's edited and sort of stamped with the, the show's approval, I guess, when it goes out. So I don't know what my answer is there. I think that, like, jokes, yeah, I, I think experiment with the most awful things you can say. But I do think that the delivery method of, like, tele- especially, like, television and radio and to, a, to an extent, like, tweets and books and things like that as well carries with it a weight that then you need to consider also what your, uh, you know, the, the, the ramifications of what you're saying, but the ramifications of the laugh you're eliciting. And do you, have you ever had any kind of um, negative effects? I would imagine your role, if I think of someone like Nish, we've been referred to a lot in this episode. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. you know, obviously by putting himself forward, by being the person that delivers the opening monologue on the MASH report, yeah. Um, He's mm-hmm. he's taking a very specific line and is therefore yeah. subject to a load of abuse online. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Presumably, you're spared all of that. Does it have any kind of bearing on the fact where you write a joke and you think to yourself, "Well, I'd love to sub this one. I'd love to pitch this one, but like it'll wind yeah. people up, and I'm not the one that's going to suffer as a result." Does that does that ever is there anything like that in the mix? Um, I don't think so, because I think that Nish has such a good filter on what he um, on what he's prepared to say and what he can defend as well. Like he. um, uh, Yeah, I I think that he'll always run something through the filter of like, oh, my God, that might be something that's really radical to say. But um, but can he defend it? For instance, in the room, we we had him pointing at a a sort of gif uh, or, you know, like an image of like a big neon sign that said Boris Johnson is a liar and a racist. Um, very inflammatory thing to do, especially on the BBC. And we were like, that would be incredible if we did it. The thing is, uh, we have very good fact checkers and people who keep us in line legally and they okayed it. And so if Nish can say, yeah, Nish will say, oh, that will get me abuse online and that'll be a very extreme thing to say. But if he can defend it in his own mind, he's fine with it. And I think as long as, as, long as we're all going by that, then I think that's, that's okay. Weirdly, I think like the things where, the only things where... Um, uh, you know, me and him have actually disagreed with stuff like tiny stuff. Like when Boris Johnson got a dog and then like Nish was, Nish was like, oh, screw that dog. I was like, that's not the dog's fault. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> like, it's tiny stuff like that. Um, but on bigger things, as long as we can defend it and as long as it's based on what is, you know, what, what the our legal team and everything else allows, then he'll, I think he's prepared to, to go for it and take the, take the knocks. I know that you have a, a, some background in improv. And I'm interested yes. in the the link between people who have done improv, which is very spontaneous mm. in the moment, and yeah. and all that sort of stuff, and people who are who also have the gears to write and sit down and focus on things. Yeah, yeah. The more and more I do this podcast, Tom, I'm realizing it's just me flailing around, going, "What am I supposed to do <laughs> to, to, to everyone <laughs> I have on it?" I think that's always the secret. That's always been the secret of the show. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, less and less secret as time goes on. But <laughs> but um, what do you? What do you? What have you? What if anything have you taken from improv into your 
writing? Are there are there links? Um, are there useful kind of parallels? Oh, so many. I think that like, and I, I'm not going to try and be like a cultist, um, but it's whether that you know, I, I did that. How many years ago was that that I sort of went through the courses at the Free Association, which are brilliant. And I think what it does, it just codifies a bunch of rules that are really helpful. So like one thing that their specific type of improv uh, does is like it's very based on a thing called game, which is basically like there's a scene with two people and there's a game being played and you want to make the audience aware of what that game is as soon as possible. And... That's brilliant because, and all it does is codified in your mind that if you're writing something, if you're writing a scene and if you're writing for characters, that they have to have a clear point of view. So the audience are always tapped in because it's all about communication. It's all about clarity. Everything in like, everything I've ever learned about writing boils down to communication and clarity. So it's like, can you communicate what the game of the scene is and what the characters want? Um, And so, and once you've sort of nailed those, everything else comes like it certainly made me in my other writing in my like narrative writing lean less on gags and more on the comedy that comes naturally from two people interacting which ideally is like you know which is a lot more satisfying from like a from a narrative point of view yes. not necessarily you know gags have their place and I'm not doing those down but like uh, when you want interpersonal relationships or what you know all other narrative stuff is based on and so I, I find that has been really helpful instructing that kind of writing and and that's that's interesting because there's a parallel there I think with the ambiguity you talked about earlier on it's like as a means of oh, yeah. not being simply gag based finding the yes. ambiguity of the in between the concepts is sort of quite similar mm-hmm. shape isn't it to finding the game yeah, in between yeah. two people yes although yeah it's sort of Ironically, the, the ambiguity there is almost death in terms of like, if people aren't quite, you know, as long as people know what they're meant to know, oh, sure, that's yeah, very yeah, good. Yeah. But, yeah. but it's like, yeah, it, it can be, I guess it's so difficult, isn't it? Because, yeah, I, I had to put, I, it was a long learning period when I sort of started that because I've got in my head that I can like create gags and I can throw out gags. And of course, actually gags don't, gags are death in improv because mm. they suddenly break the the sort of myth that what you're seeing is like two characters interacting and suddenly someone's on stage trying to be funny and nothing's nothing's less funny than someone trying to be funny um so that was like a, a weird way of like unlearning that which i'm really grateful for because i think otherwise i would have taken my like i can write one-liners and taken that into the world of like writing narrative and then i would have struggled because um it's a, it's a completely different skill set. I, th- I think I, I, d- I don't disagree with any of that. I, I suppose the yeah, parallel yeah. I was imagining is that they're both somehow to do with, maybe there isn't a parallel. I, I feel like it's something <laughs> to do with keeping the ball in the air. So it's not about oh, right. ambiguity yeah, yeah. as in what is the ambiguity between these two people, which oh, I agree yeah, yeah. would be a, bit, a big yes. problem to the drama or the comedy or whatever yeah. it is. But there's something about finding the ambiguity between two ideas. is like that's the, yes, that's yeah, the yeah. exciting zone, isn't it? And finding the yeah yeah so like yeah it's the yeah. game between two people in the exciting game almost like the the ambiguity is the game of the joke isn't it we're playing that's the area that we're kind of teasing around. exactly oh yeah sorry that, that yes I I think I misunderstood but like you're absolutely right it's that kernel at the centre of something which is like ideally two characters uh, two characters who disagree or have conflict that in the centre is the kind of is what you're talking about it's that play isn't it it's yes. the play of like the same play that has oh I think that this person's about to say you know things you wouldn't hear uh, at a train station and I think they're going to talk about the conductor of the train oh my god it's the conductor of an orchestra or something you know it's that kind of little play that then people respond to um, I, th- I feel very bad about <laughs> being so derisory about the no no no, not, that no, no, no I, t- I t- totally get it totally get it so yeah. so 
I just want to, before we wrap up, I just want to talk to you about, because mm. you are such a, I think of you as, um, like you're a kind of a fixer, right? Like you, like you, okay. know you mean like you, 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 <laughs> yeah, you yeah. get it, right? You, you, you're a bit, mm. you're a bit a beautiful mind, but for jokes, but still, still, a, <laughs> sure. still a perfectly functional human being. And I, and I should say, Yay. one of the things mm. I don't actually know about you, I don't, I yeah. know you as a sort of, I feel like I know you from this, from this interview. At least I know you sort of cerebrally, mm. but I don't. We might mm. just before I get to my fixy thing, I was going to say, yeah, um, yeah. I just in terms of who you are, a bit more. <laughs> as a person like what yeah. does what do you get from comedy besides money and a nice time <laughs> like what what what, what and then maybe nothing else but what drew you yeah. to it what kind of kid were you what kind of do you see what i mean like uh, like who who are you beyond the kind of the the cerebral <laughs> so i think that that's something i'm i'm sort of in the work i'm trying to do to access so like i I got into writing through um, through sort of these the topical stuff because that is the easiest way of getting into writing because it's the smallest outlay of money you can give someone uh, you know is like money for a one liner it's the smallest amount of work you can do for a small amount of money and then you can incrementally grow up and it just sort of that that's what I've been doing and I really enjoy it but like I think my heart lies as I've been talking about a lot in sort of narrative stuff when I was eighteen um, as Nish well knows uh, I directed and wrote a film. Uh, that my friends starred in and sort of I made that uh, in the summer between that and university and that is kind of what I I think ultimately that's kind of what I'm aspiring to is that kind of I love stories and I love um, you know we share similar things the MCU things like that things that I'm kind of really passionate about Um, and using kind of writing that kind of writing but then accessing uh, you know the kind of screenwriting and stuff like that which I'm also really passionate about and really love um so I guess like the me who doing comedy is like using just happen to be writing comedy um because it's um you know I think that all writing should have comedy in it I think that all drama should have comedy in it because if it doesn't it's as Ross Davis says you know it's real life is funnier than most dramas so so why not have comedy in it so using comedy then to sort of you know, inform every other bit of writing I do. So that was Tom. Thank you so much to Tom for coming along. A joy, a joyful episode. One of those ones, it's just so much fun spending time with him and just riffing about comedy nerdery that uh, I might try and get him back uh, every so often on the podcast. Or indeed, we might try and do one of these uh, insiders-only Zoom Q&As. We did one with James Acaster, and if you're in the Insiders Club, that is available to you now. Um, So please sign up, and you get all of the extra content from every episode that has it, which is now bundles and bundles and bundles so if you've just discovered the podcast and you're chewing your way through it um then have a little look on the insiders club to see all of the extra bits from some of your favorite episodes i'll post amble at you in just a second involving also some correspondence on last week's episode with the brilliant jordan brooks uh, for now that concludes the podcast speak to you soon This one's been short and to the point, hasn't it? You can almost tell that I've got research to do that I haven't yet done and I'm getting on with this at pace. Hey, I tell you what we've got in the can. Correspondence in a second. First, uh, we've got this. Next week or the week after, we'll be releasing an episode. We, it's always we, isn't it? We'll be releasing an episode with Russell Kane and blow me down. I nearly told you that I had him uh, in the diary last week, but I was so excited about it. I didn't want to hex it. You know, I never like to say things until they're in the can. And... Uh, it's an absolute belter. It's two hours of 
He is so, he's so analytical. He's so erudite. He talks with such speed. It's, you get the content of three hours jammed into two. And it's just a really good episode. I challenged him on lots of stuff and he had answers for all of it. And, uh, there was some of those very pleasing kind of revelatory. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose things are like that kind of things. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a gold standard episode, which I'm really excited to bring you. And speaking of which, not only has this one with Tom been a banger, but also last week, the Jordan Brooks episode of pleased to say has been very well received as I knew it would be because it is ah oh, he you know he's brilliant and it's a brilliant episode there's nothing else to it but that um uh, so thank you to those of you who've been in touch. Some of you have been in touch and uh, said on the ComCom Facebook group how much you've enjoyed it. That, that's really great. I'm very grateful for for all of those murmurings of appreciation. A couple of you have been in touch to check that I'm all right, which is so <laughs> so sweet of you. Um, I think I can't remember. I retook the postamble of that episode a few times and I can't really remember what I said. But the upshot is, yes, I'm doing more therapy at the moment. Yes, I'm finding it very helpful. And yes, it's having a pretty sort of uh, earth moving earth sh- not earth shattering the earth is not shattered but the earth is sort of pleasantly moved around in a way you think oh progress um regarding sort of my compassion for myself and regarding the uh, let's not lose ourselves in it but basically i think what i tried to do in last week's postamble was uh make it about you and not me and remind you all to be a bit kinder to yourself so thank you those of you who took that as a suggestion that uh, I've not been being all that kind to myself. And let's face it, it's therapy, isn't it? In some ways, I've been massively overindulgent for the whole of my life. And in other ways, uh, I could probably have been... Uh, I could probably have achieved the same things with less uh, bullying. <laughs> so uh, so there's that. My point is, my point is, thank you for uh, for getting in touch. Um, you can do that. Info at comedianscomedian.com if you would like to contact me about anything. Follow me on the socials at ComComPod on Instagram and Twitter. Um, my own account on Twitter is at Stu Goldsmith and I absolutely cannot decide what to do with it because I never look in it. <laughs> so, uh, so there's that. I mean, follow it if you like. There's very little on there. So the one thing that I wanted to share with you uh, before I bugger off is... Um, I saw last night, I sat in the audience, you know, every so often in in the real world uh, as comics, I often suggest that you sit in the audience of a show. We all watch other people's sets and we sometimes, I mean, I can't bear to sit in an audience, if I'm honest. I get really fidgety and and, uh, it's very hard doing research sometimes, even if it's something that I'm really into. The idea of sitting down and watching a video or, you know, a, a, a YouTube video of someone that I love still kind of gives me the horrors because the idea of sitting and doing it and not doing anything else maddening um but i uh, i sat in my sitting room uh which is what it's there for with my wife at her behest and we watched tim key uh doing some readings from his uh, his new book of poems he used i think it's called he used thought as a wife um and uh it was so so good it was tim and i think he has a different person with him doing the sound each week last night it was izzy sutty uh, who is also brilliant and the pair of them had this incredible kind of really downbeat riffing chemistry that was such a joy to watch and tim's just in his not to give anything away but he's in his flat and he has one or two different camera angles and one or two surprising things happen and uh, it was so funny and just made me feel for an hour that I was at the McCuncliffe Comedy Festival and it made me remember the world. And I suppose in the last year, we've all been f- 
drifting in some ways drifting away from what we're used to i think that is there are very things that are very few things that are universally true for everybody's experience over the last year christ nearly a year now um but certainly we've all drifted away from the way things used to be and i suppose some aspects of those for me have been good you know i've not been on the road i've been with my family loads and i've been loving it and finding it difficult but you know because it is parenting's hard but uh but i've been loving being at home and part of me has felt like oh you know so that so distance i basically i've been i've been quite enjoying in some ways the absence from my former life from some of the the tougher aspects you know comedy's full of things that it's really great to have done and to look back at and go, oh, yeah, I used to do all those drives, I used to do all this. You know, that's very satisfying, much less fun to do them. God, if you were teleported, imagine now, if you're listening to this and you're a pro comic, imagine if you were teleported back to day one. Obviously, what a, a vast and exciting journey that would be. But wouldn't part of you be thinking, Christ, have I got to do all these difficult bits again? I'm losing my place. My point is, um, I have not missed certain aspects of it, uh, of, of regular life this last year. And last night, watching Tim and Izzy just being so funny and charming and brilliant in a really kind of gentle, casual, offbeat kind of a way really made me just go, no, I don't. I miss all of it. I want the drives back. I want the gigs back, the dressing rooms back, the festivals back. I want all of it now, now in my tummy. Yes, right now, please. Um, I, it, it was really inspiring and brilliant and funny. He's doing more of them. He's on Dice FM. So go to dice.fm and you can find out. I believe it's part of Leicester Comedy Festival. I believe if you're a Next Up subscriber, then you already get access to it. So look into all those avenues. I'm not exactly sure how it works. Um, but uh, it was so good. So I highly recommend that. And I highly recommend seeing things. There are so many. I've been too busy producing my own stuff. I've been too busy knocking stuff out and then recovering from knocking stuff out and then inventing things and surviving and all those kind of things. I've been so busy doing that. I haven't really done the equivalent bit where you actually sit down in an audience and watch a show. And I did. And it was great. And it was very inspiring. So do more of that. Yes, you. Bye for now.